bisexuals welcome back to another episode of the bisexual agenda and i'm super excited because it's the one year anniversary of the podcast it was the anniversary on the 1st of october i'm a tiny bit late because i'm on bisexual time but i'm super happy i'm just like amazed that i've managed to keep this going and i'm so happy that people like it literally when i started i was like if 10 of my friends listen to this i'll be happy and yeah, I'm so happy with how everything has gone. I did a post on my Instagram asking what people wanted to hear on the podcast in the future and I'll write down all your ideas and try and work some of that stuff in. A lot of people were asking for more bilemmas, so if you have a bilemma, please DM me on Instagram at the Bisexual Agenda Pod, and me and Olivia will try to advise you. We have one bilemma today and we're also going to talk about Mamma Mia, the classical gay slash camp masterpiece. I said this I think a couple of episodes ago but I'm going back to my other job now I think, not really sure what's going on with that because of coronavirus, but I'm going to be working like full time so I am going to do an episode once a month rather than every two weeks and if I have an extra episode because I had some free time. I'll like throw that in. As always, the content warnings and the links for everything that we talk about are in the show notes. Please message me if there's anything that I've missed or anything you want to talk about. I love chatting to you guys so much. Like it literally warms my heart when people send me nice messages. I fucking love it. And I'm so happy that you are my friends. Uh, I'm so happy that you listened to my podcast. I'm really excited to see what happens in the next year. I have loads of ideas for episodes. I have like a mental health episode planned. So if you have ideas for like specific things you'd want to hear, please message me. And I also am interested in doing another episode with Rosie, who did the safe sex episode with me. And I thought it'd be cool to do like a sex by lemmas episode. So like, um, she's a really great person for that. Like super open, non-judgmental, very informative, very informed. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, happy anniversary to us. And I hope you enjoy the episode. It's the anniversary of the bisexual agenda. Happy birthday! <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it's truly a miracle a Sagittarius has managed to continue a project for one year. I I can't actually believe it's one year, to be quite Neither honest. Neither can I. But that's mostly because the passage of time appears to have been suspended for the last six months. <laughs> and we're all living in some kind of eternal purgatory. <laughs> This is actually the bad place. Yeah, I, th- I think this might actually be the bad place. I have thought that for a few years, but... Uh. For a few years, yeah. Well, I'm convinced <laughs> that, like, I saw this thing on Tumblr that was, like, the universe is just, like, an alien science project that they got a C in, and it just, like, is in a jar and lives on his shelf. I feel like a C is kind of optimistic for planet Earth at the moment. <laughs> yeah, but the whole universe... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's there's much better parts. I mean, maybe, maybe we just we were the reason that it went down from an A. We invented jobs. 
that honestly haunts me every day. Like, everything that sucks about being a human, we made up to make us feel superior to animals, essentially. And to fight with each other. Well, I think we made it made a lot of it up to make us feel superior to other humans, which is yes. possibly the worst part of it. Yeah, even worse. <laughs> wow, being a human would not recommend. Welcome, Olivia, back again. My most consistent and honoured guest. I'm glad to be described as consistent. Yes. That, that is actually quite impressive in my life. <laughs> oh my god, yes. As a Capricorn, you are the most consistent of all time. So, today we are talking about a cinematic masterpiece, but basically we've just been watching loads of like high school movies and like rom-coms and Disney movies to spark joy. Yeah, we've been trying to watch a lot of feel-good films, mm. um, quite a lot, of, yeah, like you say, teen comedies, Disney films, anything that's kind of optimistic and happy, albeit some of them do have quite a lot of problematic elements in them when you watch them back nowadays, but um, general like comfort watching I would guess yes. is the best way to describe them. Our most recent foray is watching the whole of MasterChef Professionals and now I'm in love with Monica Galetti. Yeah I'm really excited we're gonna make her souffles. Yes for my birthday we're gonna try and make a chocolate souffle. I think it's gonna be good. It's just gonna be hilarious. It's just gonna be one of those times where everything goes wrong but it's fun. Yeah and then we'll have like an attempt at a souffle to eat afterwards. I think we should also order an actual pudding. I want to order, like, um, a tiramisu from Culto. Okay, yeah, we can As a backup that. pudding. I'm, I think our souffles are great. Really? Yeah, I'm, I have, I have like, I have full confidence that we will make a good souffle. Okay, well, stay tuned, guys, <laughs> for the souffle making. Okay, so the film we're talking about today is Mamma Mia. It gives me so much joy in my heart. And the first time I saw it, I went to the cinema with my friend Lauren and her mum and her sister, and they're all, like, theatre people. Like, she did dance. She still does dance. She did, like, all the kind of dance in school. And it was, like, a sing-along version that we went to, I think. But, like, I literally left being, like, I have never felt more happiness. Like, you know when you leave the cinema and you literally feel like you're going to, like, get beamed up? I, I really... I mean, obviously, I'm, I really love film, and I really love the kind of transcendental experiences that yes. you can get in a cinema. And it's something I'm I'm actually really missing at the mm. moment. Obviously, you know, I know nowadays, yes, you can watch films at home. You can watch films anywhere you want on any device. But <laughs> um, there is something special about watching films in a cinema. And particularly when you have a really good experience in a cinema, you watch a film that you really, really enjoy yeah. and that really moves you. I think it makes it way more memorable. Yeah. Like, like, it's much more easy to remember, like, the whole experience. Because I really remember when I first watched Inception, because when I left the cinema, I literally was like, fuck! <laughs> I was like, are we living in a different reality? <laughs> I felt, like, so paranoid. But yeah, when you see a really good film in the cinema, that's good. And often I cry in the cin cinema. Or I never really cry when I watch films. I, I cried watching Carol in the cinema. I did um, not. I was with my straight friends. Yeah, well, me and Amelia went to see Carol on our last date before we became best friends. So that's cute. And yeah, basically, we're going to talk about our favourite slash gayest moments of Mamma Mia. Because I think it's the most camp, gay, straight film. All musicals are camp and gay on some level, I think. That You know, you don't need to do much digging into the histories of musicals to know that even if the stories themselves were very straight, which you know, they have yeah. been, that a lot of the people making them were 
gay or queer, and obviously a huge element of the fan base is queer people. And all the performers, essentially. A lot of the performers. Not necessarily all of them, but yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of there there have been a lot of gay people. There's a lot of gays. Working in musicals. Yes. I think we can definitely say that is true. But yeah, it's fucking iconic. It just sparks so much joy. Meryl Streep is like so gorgeous. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, you asked me to pick, like, my favourite moments, but I just wanted to say, like, mm. anytime Meryl Streep is in Dungarees is my favourite <laughs> yes, moment. Yes, don't worry. That, I've got, like, three favourites. Meryl Streep in Dungarees, just legendary. And it's true, like, that. those are the clothes that people would wear on holiday in Greece. Well, I think it's just the fact that she's, like, fixing up an old hotel thing whatever Such villain. A I'm not yeah I'm not I, like I, I'm not entirely sure I think it's like a farmhouse she's turning into a hotel is that it's like, actually a b and right? that she's had for like a long time many years so basically I think the story is she had some wild gap year on this remote Greek island and then she was taken in by this aunt Sophie woman who has the tumble down farmhouse and then instead of ever going back she just stayed there forever and made it into this B&B that is falling apart, but also very popular. Yeah, but that's such a lesbian vibe. She's, like, fixing up this, like, building that's eternally falling down. It's She's like, got her tool belt just, strapped on. I just love it. I, you know, it's... And it's definitely a queer aesthetic. It's very gay. And it's also very gay to be like, oh, I haven't slept with a man since that one summer where I fucked three guys. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh yeah, 20, 20 year dry spell, uh, but I do have this amazing Greek location, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. I think that's the gay agenda. <laughs> the bi agenda is fucking three guys in Greece <laughs> and then never having sex again. And one of them is called a birth. I mean, I think, I think, like, the film itself is obviously, it's not entirely straight, but like, it's based around this. Well, the, it's, it's based around yeah. like straight um, culture, I guess. Straight culture, whatever that is. It's, it's based around heteronormativity. Yes. Um, when you say she's had a twenty-year dry spell, in my like, that's because it has to be like that for the straights. But yes. in my head, it's like actually she's just fucking loads of women in that twenty-year spell. That's true. One of the things I was going to say is, even though the storyline is basically based around Amanda. And marrying Donald Cooper. He is literally not in it. Like, they have about three scenes together, and in most of them, she's running away from him. Yeah, they have absolutely zero chemistry. The chemistry read, I don't know what happened that day, but like. They have absolutely zero chemistry. I do really like the one song that they have together. Yes, on iconic, the beach. legendary. And like, the other straight relationship that centers around is like Piers Brosnan winning back Meryl Streep. But they also have no chemistry, and she spends the entire film running away from him. Yeah. Like, I, f- I find the three guys, like, Pierce Brosnan, um, Stan Skarsgård, and... Um, Colin. Colin Firth, whose name I nearly forgot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I, I find them such weird, so weird as characters, because, like, Pierce Brosnan is basically, like, his character is, like, I'm Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> his character is, like, I can't sing, I was married and I hated it. I have children, but all I care about is Meryl Streep. But his character is basically, like, his, like, attractiveness is that he's Pierce Brosnan, not that he's a character. And then, like, Stellan Skarsgård's character is that he's Scandinavian. And he's adventurous. 
Like, he has not... a boat. He's like being on boat trips. Yeah, but he's he's that kind of Scandinavian that just like decides that the Mediterranean is nice and just hangs around there because it's it's warmer than Scandinavia. Like, yeah, he's that stereotype. Of, Why like... not? <laughs> and then Colin Firth is is basically playing like a gay version of Colin Firth. <laughs> Which he does quite often, actually. I think Colin Firth is very queer to me. Like, potentially bi. Because, like, he has this bumbling charm that he pulls off so well, and straight men rarely can do that. And he's not a bimbo. Yeah, well, I've also wondered, like... Because I've been thinking about, like, the gay representation in it, because Colin Firth's character is... Gay. He's gay, and, and as far as I'm concerned, he's explicitly gay in the film. He is, yes. Um, he has a boyfriend that he meets on the island. Yeah, exactly. But I'm also wondering whether it's like, is he supposed to be bi in the film? Because, like, he did he, he, okay. he does claim paternity, or potential paternity, yes. so that means he presumably had sex with Meryl Streep. But, okay, so, but, I can't remember because I've only seen it once. In Mamma Mia 2, they do kind of do this whole, oh, well, he was gay all along, but he ends up having this unsatisfying one-night stand with Meryl. And then she's like, oh, obviously that didn't work out. Yeah. But also, like, they could have done that storyline so much better. And yes, he could have just been bi, rather than it being like, oh, well, he's like this really awkward, closeted gay guy who then somehow ends up sleeping with Lily James. Like... And they made him sing Waterloo. Like, it just made no sense. Like, they actually didn't give him a romantic storyline. I mean, I just think it would have been nice for him to be bi, because... That probably um, didn't even fucking cross their minds. No, it probably didn't. Bi people are are massively, like, erased in film and TV. But I think even more so bi men are possibly more erased than bi women. Yeah. And also, like, even though he is explicitly gay in the original Mamma Mia, they don't they kind of have it as, like, a reveal. Yeah. Because it's kind of... Like, he keeps dropping all these hints, like, oh, well, I've never been married, I've never had kids, I just have my two dogs. Like, presumably he's come out in between, like, those, like, however many years it's been. Has he, like, not had any relationships? Or has he just, like, been living this gay domestic bliss and he's like, oh, well, I haven't got married, but... It is used as, like, a joke. Because, you know, when they have that weird conversation on the boat, yeah. Colin Firth thinks he's trying to explain to Bill that he's realised he's Sophie's dad, yes. yeah. but Bill thinks he's trying to say that he's, yeah, he's realised he's out. gay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not used as a, like, Shakespearean um, two people think they're having two different conversations. It's, like, a joke. Because he's like, oh, you only just realised? Yeah. Acting like it's really obvious. And also, Colin Firth isn't, like, an obviously gay character in the... Film. Like he's. I mean, the way that like stereotypical gayness has been used to portray yes. characters is, we is don't not love a good it. thing. I think it's just like they go out of their way to make it like, oh, it's so obvious he's gay, but they also like only let him actually be gay on screen right at the end, and they don't let him actually say anything about it. It's all other characters being like, oh, maybe he's gay. It's obviously not like amazing queer representation, um, but it is kind of realistic for characters of that type type and age like oh, yeah. you know of, of yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. cis gay men in their kind of 40s He's just a banker you know white middle class it is kind of a realistic portrayal of gayness because they do although they may be out they're not necessarily out in all contexts in my experience like they're, they're quite yes. often like 
particularly around that you know straight people and are in professional settings mm. they they kind of they're much more likely to be not necessarily closeted but like low key in their gayness. Yes, I know that gets kind of a lot of um, criticism from queer people mm. in terms of you Homo know the, normativity. Yeah, the, yeah, they they've kind of you know they've kind of thrown a lot of other queer people under the bus and they've assimilated and blah blah blah. But I think like you also have to bear in mind at the time that they were were younger and coming out that no route option. made sense as a form of safety. Yeah. Um, and it's also like very common for gay men who are that age to have children because yeah. of like a previous relationship or marriage. Yeah. Yeah, basically for a film that's supposedly meant to be about straight couples, one they're never on screen, two when they are the woman's like running away from the guy. I just think they're not believable. Like everything we know about Meryl, she would not randomly get married at the end of a film just because there's like a wedding available. Do you know what I mean? She doesn't seem like the kind of character that would suddenly be like oh yeah, I'll marry this guy I haven't seen for like 20 years on the spot just because my daughter no longer wants to get married. Because they could have just had a party. It, it's like a marriage of convenience, not for the characters, but for the, for the, the plot. For the plot. <laughs> um, but it is... I think it's, I mean, I think it's kind of gay to just like... That's think, true. Oh, let's, let's just get married. Like, you know, why, why, so should, why should marriage be like this big kind sure. of... That's true. It is gay to be like, okay, well, we don't want to get married. Anyone wanna, else want to... Yeah. We don't, we don't want to spoil this wedding that we've arranged that now isn't happening, so maybe let's just have a quick marriage. And, like, you know, marriages can be inconsequential. Like, you can just get married and then get divorced, like, in a few weeks' time. Like, exactly. A la Britney Spears. Yeah, exactly. Like, we, need to, we need to kind of, like, delegitimize yes. marriage as, as, like, a, oh a, a big, like, lifetime, lifelong commitment. Like... You know, I love weddings, but I, I don't necessarily want to commit myself to someone for the rest of my life. Because yes. that sounds a bit fucked. As a Sagittarius, I wholeheartedly agree. Okay, so what are your favourite moments of the film? So I do like um, Sophie and what's-his-name's Sky's uh, song on the beach. Lay All Your Love On Me. Lay All Your Love On Me, exactly. That Iconic. one. Iconic. I, I just think that that song's actually just really well done. And, it you know, it is the only time that he kind of gets some characterization. Yeah. Like, I, 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 just want to, I just want to say, like, my head canon is that the reason they don't have any chemistry <laughs> is because he's actually, like, a closeted twink. Like, he just... Yes. Like, he he just gives off that vibe. He gives off a queer vibe to me. Yes. And so, he's like... He's wearing, like, a shell necklace. His name is Sky. And also, conveniently, all of his friends appear to be, like, gay backup dancers. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're, like, doing a coordinated flipper dance on the pier. I'd love to see, like, a remake where it's, like, a trans man plays that character. Oh my god, um, yes. That would be beautiful. I think it'd be amazing. I do find that song good. It's also kind of worrying, though. It's very possessive. It, it, yeah. It's, like, hashtag toxic straight couple, but it's a great song. Yeah, I mean that's ABBA, isn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> if you you know if you analyze their music too much, you're probably going to find some problematic elements mm. in the lyrics there. But they're just like catchy pop songs that everyone loves, so we'll that's just amazing. ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's your next fave? Um, so number two would be with Christine Baranski playing Tanya, fucking legend. When she sings, uh, "Does your mother know?" on the beach at the beach bar. I love that her whole character is that she's really rich because she's had four divorces and she's really hot. 
And horny. I, 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 you know, I just love that whole, you know, I want to be a woman of that age where there's just, like, men on the beach dancing for me. <laughs> that's, that's what I want. Yeah, literally throwing themselves at you. Literally throwing themselves at me. Yeah. That is, uh, you know, on a Greek <laughs> island, I'm in my 60s, it's the perfect retirement. It's great. Because also, even though he is much younger... And it's a little cougar moment. She's very much being like, you could never even handle this in your wildest dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Whereas it could have been handled in a dodgy way where they actually could sleep together. And that would be a bit like, ugh. Yeah. But it's very much just her being like, yeah, I'm fucking hot. I think think it's great that, you know, they, they kind of allowed those actresses to, like, be sexy and kind of on their own terms as well. Yes. Um, and and that's why I really love that moment. Yeah, also Christine Borinsky is just, like, fucking icon. I love her in The Grinch. She does just play, like, campy, hot legend. That's her vibe. She's never the main character. She's always a supporting character. She's, you know, she's very much a character actress. You know, I, I just think... She's she, a star. Yeah. Also, fun fact, the woman who did the makeup for the Titanic also did the makeup for Mamma Mia. I think that's cool. I think she did a good job. Yes. She was like, it was just loads of bronzer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My other favourite moment is Super Trooper Lights Are Gonna Find Me because it makes absolutely no sense (laughs) but it gets stuck in my head like so easily. I love it. And we love a song that shouts out Glasgow because not many of them do. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, basically, okay, and now do you want my star sign interpretation? Yes, so, like, Kit has decided that she's going to tell us the star signs of all the Mamma Mia characters. Well, all the ones that I could think of of all. So I've basically stolen this from our friends who also have a podcast called You Only Love Once, and they talk about rom-coms, and there's a segment where they say what star sign they think the characters are, and they say that a good test is if you can't think of a star sign for a character, that means they're not actually that well written. I think that's really interesting, is it, like, a character test? You know that I mean. There's lots of ways that you can you can kind of judge characters in terms of like how they're portrayed, but that's actually a pretty good one because it it shows that they've got a well-rounded personality, which mm. is obviously showing that they're well written and, and yeah. So I'm kind of stealing that from them, but I think I was thinking about this because I wasn't sure on Donna for a while, and I think she's a Taurus because Taurus is like the fixed Earth sign. She's like. I'm just living on this Greek island for 20 years and everything's falling apart and I have to do everything myself and I don't want it to become a tourist trap and I don't want to get fucking Wi-Fi. Do you know what I mean? She's very, like, stuck in her ways. I have to do everything myself because no one else can do it right, but also everything's going wrong. But somehow I'll pull it all together. And also it's very Taurus to just be like, oh, don't mind me, I'm just, like, here in my dungarees and my tool belt. But you're also, like, the star of the show because you're just so gorgeous. Are you buying it? Yeah, I can I can believe that. You can see it? Yeah. Okay, and Taurus also are, like, very romantic and very sentimental. So it would make sense that yeah. when all the men show up, she's kind of like, oh, God, I don't want you to be here because you're messing with my, like, perfect harmony. But she's also very much like, oh, remember all those times. But that surely makes the wedding at the end of the film make well, this at is least why. some sense. This is why, because I was like, maybe a Taurus, if you caught them on the right day, would have a shotgun wedding in Greece. Maybe. If anyone else has any ideas, let me know. 
Hey guys, it is me from the future. So just after I recorded this, I spoke to um, the Virgo that I'm dating and they corrected me um, as Virgos are want to do because they think that Donna is a Sagittarius. And I think they're right. And I think the only reason I didn't think of this is because I literally forget that Sagittarius is a star sign because I'm the only Sagittarius that I know. <laughs> but it is a very Sag mood to run away to Greece want zero responsibilities, your everything is falling apart because you actually are kind of trash at DIY. And I would do a shotgun wedding with Piers Brosnan. I even mentioned Britney Spears, who is a Sagittarius and did have a like 24 hour marriage. Fuck. Yep, so they're right, I'm wrong and there's nothing I can do about it. Thank you to the Virgos of my life for always correcting me. I'm learning to love it and appreciate it. I mean, someone's got to do it. So yes, Donna is a Sagittarius. And also, like, as a Sagittarius, I have also done questionable things for Tauruses in my life. Like, this one Taurus guy I was obsessed with, I literally flew from Copenhagen to Bristol to hang out with him. Um, And I got the most, I got the cheapest flight, which had like a five hour layover in Brussels. And the entire journey took me like 13 hours, even though it could have been like four. So yeah, I'm so sorry. Sometimes you don't recognize what you could see because it is you. So yes, Donna is a Sag. I think she might have a Leo moon because she's got the hair. She's got the hair, she's got the choreography, she's got the star quality. And let's go back to me being wrong. I think she's a Taurus. She's hardworking, she is super loyal to her family, not her lovers. (laughs) And yeah, romantic at heart. And then I think Sophie is a Libra. Okay, explain. The reason I think that is because I think only a Libra could cause that much chaos, but no one gets mad at her because she's just so charming. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, she does, like... I I feel like her, like, plot is actually kind of mean. It's unhinged. (laughs) But the thing is, she's either a Gemini or a Libra, because they're the only signs that could get away with that shit. I also don't even think she ever intended to get married. I literally think she just wanted to plan a wedding and invite all her potential dads. Because there is no moment in the film where you feel like she actually wants to marry that guy. Or she has any intention to go through the wedding. And I think that's very Libra and very Gemini. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I feel like she's agreed to the wedding because she likes the sound of a wedding. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I want to plan a wedding and wear a cool dress and have a beachy wedding and have all my friends come and invite all my many dads. But, like, she spends the whole, like... 48 hours before her wedding, avoiding her husband to be. And that, to me, is very Libra. So, yeah, and everyone just loves Sophie. Like, she's getting away with everything. She's literally causing chaos, but then, like, just faints conveniently in a bit of a party to avoid any, like, accountability. She's she's causing chaos (laughs) at her own wedding. Yes, like, what? Okay, I think it could be be Libra or Gemini. Like, maybe she's, like, Libra sun... Gemini moon and Gemini rising for madness. Yes, and then Sky, I think he has to be a Pisces because he is a wetbag. And he's also just like, his name is Sky. He's wearing his like surfer little outfit. He's also like, I never wanted a big wedding, Sophie. 
I just wanted it to be just us. He's very much like, well, I'm just so hopeless romantic and I didn't want this whole big show. But actually, he didn't want to get married either. And I think it's very, like, Pisces, Libra slash Gemini to both be in this thing. The day before the wedding, you're both like, actually, I don't want to get married, but you're not saying that. He also loves the water that's very Pisces. He's on the jet ski or whatever. Yeah. The speedboat. Okay, yeah. He also just I mean, like, given, like, given how little characterization he has, yeah. I think he's quite impressive. They well, I think that he's Pisces. He, like, does nothing to stand up for himself in the film. Like, he just is going along with this wedding that he doesn't want because he, like, is so in love with Sophie. All the other characters, it's kind of impossible. I feel like maybe Christine Baranski is, like, an Aries because she's, like, super hot and loves yelling and it's just like, where's my cocktail and where's my next husband? Yeah. Definitely a fire sign. What about the guys? Because you were struggling with the guys. Yeah, then. well, the guys have no personality. Maybe I should just Google what their actual star signs are, like, as human beings. As human beings. Okay, so Colin Firth is a Virgo. I would not see that for him, but go off. Okay. Pierce, let's find out. Yeah, I'm just, like, so happy for him that he did this film. Because he can't sing, but he is handsome. And that's how he got the role. Okay, Pierce Brosnan is a Taurus. Stone scars, go ahead. Okay. Okay, he would be a Gemini. So Bill would be a Gemini, Piers Brosnan is Taurus, and Colin Firth is Virgo. Maybe that would make sense why he's like, well, I'm just gay, but I'm also a banker. And everyone's like, well, he's so boring that he can't be gay. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like talking about Colin Firth brings us on to the horrendous Guardian yes. review. That okay, so let me say so basically, so I was trying to find some HD photos of Meryl in her dungarees, which I couldn't find, which I think is really rude, because they must exist. But while I was looking through all the Mamma Mia photos, I found this one star review of Mamma Mia from like 10 years ago, and I was just like, who the fuck wrote this? And I want to fight them. And then you were like, oh, it must be this guy who writes all these bad reviews in The Guardian. Yeah, so um, Peter Bradshaw is the main film... He's not the only film critic at The Guardian, but he's the main film critic at The Guardian. And he's a horrendous film critic. Like, he's he's absolutely terrible. So, yeah, he wrote a terrible review, but I, I just want to read, like... We're going to do a dramatic reading of part of the review. And also, because we love to mobilise as a community, I'm going to email The Guardian telling them that they should take down the review because it sucks. And maybe I'll make a template. and Or you can DM me... And, like, I'll send you the email template and you can also email The Guardian and get them to remove it. Because this is an injustice, I believe. I mean, the thing is, like, it's not even a well-written It's a bad review. review. It's a bad review and all of the criticism doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it opens with him mocking, like, ABBA. But in the worst written way possible, I I feel like okay, I have to re- okay, I have to read okay. it in the same dry way that okay. I read it when yeah, I first. Yeah, do it, Olivia. It. This is the first Olivia dramatic reading on so the podcast. This is this is written as though they these are song lyrics. Okay. I've been cheated by films since I don't know when. This one's got one good point. It must come to an end. Look at me now. Will I ever learn? I don't know who thought Pierce Brosnan should sing in it. How on earth could it not be shit? So that's how the review starts. Like, I, I know I didn't sing that very well. That's because it's actually fucking impossible to sing that at all. <laughs> that's how it starts. It then goes on and then he kind of, like, criticises um, feel-good films for some reason because, like, 
what is wrong with people actually wanting to go to the cinema to be entertained? Like, I don't actually understand that. Literally, because the whole um, point of film is escapism, and sometimes people want to escape and feel good, not feel depressed. Okay. So I just want to quote this. Um, it's about Colin Firth being and, and the fact that his character is gay. So, mm. the most transcendent type of film, they say, leaves a subliminal image imprinted on your mental retina. And we indeed talked about that at the start yes, of this podcast. Yes, we agree. An image which you only see fully on leaving the cinema. After Michael Haneke's hidden, we asked ourselves, so what did happen outside the school gates? Ten minutes after this film, I suddenly gasped, Oh my god, was Colin Firth's character supposed to be gay? Like, come on, Peter. He's literally snogging a bloke in the end scene, and you don't, you're not sure until ten minutes after you leave the cinema whether he's gay or not. It just baffles me as to how he can be, like, you know, he's basically, he's paid to do this. He has, this is his job. He gets to just watch loads of films and write about them. And, because there are so film, few film critics and few film critic jobs at major newspapers, he's basically in this job for life, no matter how terrible he is at it. I'm flabbergasted. Okay, read the homophobic bit. So, all three guys are plausibly dishy, which I think, on this point, we can agree with Peter. <laughs> but, I do fancy Bill. But there is something odd about Colin Firth. Of the three, his paternity claim appears to be the weakest. He talks about having no children, only a pair of dogs, and in the final group dance hook scene, appears to cop off with someone of the same genital group. This is fucking horrendous. I forgot how bad it was, okay. Right. Could it be that Colin's enthusiasm for womankind is now limited to his Mamma Mia? Is this movie attempting in its simperingly inclusive way to acknowledge the band's gay fanbase? Either way, it's a coy sort of outing which leaves the character deeper in the closet than ever. No, it doesn't. And I'm like... What are you fucking on about, mate? How? Also, that is not the moment he's outed in the film. The moment he is outed in the film is like, there's three occasions when it happens. One is on the boat where he's having that conversation with Bill... One is when he, like, tries to tell Sophie, but she's, like, fainting at the party. And the other one is when he kisses his boyfriend at the wedding reception. Yeah, it's like his character, his, his gayness is gradually revealed to us throughout the film. And yes. by the end, it's made explicit. Yeah. And I, d- I don't understand simperingly inclusive. I don't like, think he's a token gay character. Like, I'm not saying that it's, like, got amazing gay yes. representation. Like, he's not shamed for his gayness. And... It's explicit in the film. Mamma Mia isn't super inclusive. Like, the entire cast is white. And, like... But yeah, and, and yeah, I think the other people one, of colour... There's a couple the of, extras. Couple there's, of okay, extras yes. dancers. That yes, that's true. But, like, they don't have any lines. It's not simperingly inclusive. And it is a very much, like, a straight film. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's not... <sighs> so, yeah, we hate that bitch. I, I just have a pro- I kind of have a problem with saying that the only reason they included a gay character was because ABBA have, have lots gay of gay fans. What the fuck? Because also gay people go to see musicals even when there's no gay characters. Yeah, and also like, like what, musicals. what is Peter Bradshaw's problem with fan service anyway? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna write one of my classic Kit Scales complaint emails and send it to the Guardian. And we don't need homophobia in our film reviews. We just don't. I, I think it says something about, like, 
The fact that he picked that out as something to comment on when it's literally like a very minor plot in the film. Yeah. He, and he doesn't even mention the fact that like Meryl Streep is like fucking legendary in her performance. She's rolling around on a roof. There's like stunts in this film. Yeah. It says something about like film criticism that there needs to be far more diverse voices in film criticism. Yes, because a lot of the time when I read them, I'm like, well, you're just criticising that because you're straight. Because a lot, like, I remember, you know when that Kara Knightley film came out where she was playing, like, a les- lesbian? can't remember what it's called. There's Colette, where she plays a bi character. Okay, okay. So I read a review for that. Oh my god, bisexual erasure on my own podcast. I'm so sorry, guys. But um, I read a review for that in The Guardian where it was like, oh, she's wearing a suit, so she's gender bending. Or like some weird stuff. It was all focused on the clothes she wore in this weird way. And they didn't say anything about her sexuality. So I was like, well, obviously this is a queer film because they've said all this weird stuff about gender bending. But it's like, why can't you just say that it's about a queer woman or a bisexual woman like it's not gender bending like sexuality actually doesn't have anything to do with gender some of the time do you know what I mean like hate it but I mean anyway like The Guardian is not a very good newspaper it's what passes for left wing journalism in the UK but it's actually not okay so this is a classic episode for the anniversary and we've got a bi-lemma so the bi-lemma is I broke up with my ex after several months, maybe years, of things not being right for both of us. It was a very loving mutual breakup after a month spent on a break, and deciding that making it permanent would be best for us. We agreed to have no contact for six months in the hope that we could then be in each other's lives as friends sometime in the future. 48 hours after my breakup, I downloaded all the apps and ended up talking to someone on Lex who I immediately really clicked with. Very quickly, things got pretty intense and we were spending every waking hour texting, voice noting, calling each other. It was obvious that we had caught feelings. After five weeks of this, they then came to stay with me. We've seen a lot of each other since and it's all been very great and we are now officially in a relationship. My dilemmas are thus. How do I stop feeling guilty for moving on so fast? How do I stop worrying that other people are judging me? I know I'd be pretty judgmental if one of my friends did the same thing. I guess I worry that they're going to be hurt or they're being reckless. Is it possible that I've not moved on from my breakup and I'm not over my ex? I'm really worried that I'm going to have a breakdown at some point and all these feelings I didn't know I had are going to gush out. Firstly, like my first instinct on hearing this is to say, you know, you say that your old relationship with your ex there'd been problems in that relationship for months, possibly years. So it's not like you've you've had a sudden, unexpected breakup. That relationship had been kind of dying for a long time. And you even say you had a month's break from each other before you finished it. So, you know, it's not like you had a sudden breakup and then immediately the next night you were jumping into another relationship. That is a, a long, slow breakup which it sounds like you handled really well. You know, I don't see a problem with that. And I then don't see a problem with immediately moving on necessarily. That is only a problem if it's a problem for you. But obviously, if you're writing in with a bilemma saying you're worried that you're rushing things, you're worried that you're not over your ex, that means that there is something wrong for you. In that sense, it is okay to ask your new partner for some time. Not, I'm not saying like to have a break, but to slow down the development of the relationship. That you know that is totally fine, and particularly if you are coming off what sounds like a very long term relationship. 
Yes. It's kind of okay to take things gradual with with whatever your next relationship is. Yes. And also I just think don't feel a pressure to pretend to your new partner that you have no feelings about your breakup because it's completely expected for someone to have feelings about a breakup even if that breakup was like 2 years ago or 1 year ago. Like everyone has feelings about their ex whether it's like completely positive, completely negative or in between. You've got to find the balance of, like, not processing with your new partner about your breakup because you don't want to, like, start kind of, like, treating your new partner as a therapist and complaining about your ex and all the problems with them. But that doesn't sound like that's happening. But I think you can be open with them and be like, I'm really surprised that I met someone this soon after my breakup because I wasn't expecting to click with someone this fast and I'm really happy about how this is going but I'm also aware that I've recently ended a very long relationship and I think that maybe stuff about that is going to come up at some point. And if you do have a moment where you're like, oh god, all this unexpected stuff is coming up about my previous relationship, I think you could just say to them, like, I'm actually having a lot of feelings about my breakup right now and I just need some time to process. I don't think they're going to be surprised if you tell them that you have feelings about that. And also, I, I think if they're, like, a emotionally robust or, like, self-aware person, they probably won't think that it has to impact your relationship with them. And I would just say, like, as someone who has been in a relationship with someone who had very recently come out of a relationship, the only time it actually caused problems was because they weren't honest about how recently they'd broken up with that person and they also tried to kind of pretend that they were completely over it when actually they had actually kind of started dating and going on apps to try and distract themselves and then found themselves actually trying to be in a serious relationship when they really weren't ready for it. And I feel like this is a different situation because you were in a very long-term relationship that you had kind of processed the breakup of before it even happened because you kind of knew the relationship was over before it ended. So I think it's not a surprise that you're not suddenly having this massive onslaught of breakup emotions because the breakup was so, like, gradual. And it sounds like neither person did anything wrong. The breakup was amicable and does have the aim of being friends. I would wonder, like, is part of the worry that you're worried that your ex will have opinions about the fact you've moved on so fast and do you feel guilty that you've met someone new because you think it diminishes the relationship you had with that person or makes it seem like you don't care? Because also you literally just can't control when you meet someone. I think maybe this is a problem because it's like, are you just not going to talk for six months and then they're going to suddenly find out that you're in this new relationship that you got into really quickly and then they're going to have to process that, or do they already know that that's happening? Because well, that's a another question. Yeah, because I wondered about the, the third the third part of the dilemma where they're they're, they're worried about people judging them for 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 moving on so quickly. And it, it I mean, it, until you said it, then I I didn't really take that to be be their ex judging them. I took it to be more general. Oh yeah, well I think it is their but friends, but probably both, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I just think with that, like it's not that's not on you that's on them yeah because also like people are so judgmental about other people's relationships i just think it's not worth anyone's time because you can't choose when you meet someone that you like you're not saying oh i've broken up with someone really recently and i'm not ready for a relationship but i've met someone i want to be in a relationship with so i'm ignoring the fact i don't think i'm ready you clearly want to be in a relationship with this person and the fact you're thinking about this stuff i think is good I think if you have conversations with your friends, 
You don't have to preempt the fact that they're judging you by being like, oh, I know it seems like I'm moving on really fast. Oh, I know it seems like this. You should probably just assume that your friends will actually have your back because I should, the thing is, I don't really believe in rebounds. Like, obviously some people do go out and like have one night stands after they break up with someone as like a way of moving on or whatever. But I think if you've met someone that you seriously like and now you're in a relationship with them, it's not doomed just because you had a breakup before. Because every relationship happens after a breakup, basically, unless it's, like, your first relationship. And even if it's been a year, sometimes there's still shit that's, like, baggage. So I think you have to, like, not beat yourself up for finding someone that you like. Like, that's a good thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think you can, you know, you can... If you're feeling yourself, which it sounds like you might be feeling yourself, that you think you might be moving too quickly, you can, you know, rather than assuming your friends might judge you, you can talk to your friends about that, about your feelings, rather than talking to your new partner. Um, Because, you know, your friends might have a lot of good advice on that and things like that. So I think it's almost like you you need to figure out what your your kind of issues and what you want out of the new relationship and how quickly you want it to move. I think the thing is, like... You literally can't control how fast your emotions go. Because you can be like, oh, I want to take this slow with this person. But then you can't help it if you feel very intensely for them very quickly. But I think potentially this is one of those problems where if you just start being more open with everybody involved, it will become less of this issue because you will understand what their expectations are. Because I don't think this person expects you to have no feelings about your breakup and never want to talk about it and have processed everything perfectly. Because... No one knows how to process anything. And closure is fake. So, like, you don't have a time limit on when you have to, like, put away your old relationship into a box and never think about it again. And certainly not after a couple of months. I know, yeah, this is the thing. It's like, you don't have to wait till you're completely over a breakup to start dating. Because sometimes it can take a really long time. I think you just have to be honest about what your boundaries are. And I think you also have to be honest with yourself about whether you're trying to, like seek too much from a new relationship to avoid healing. Yeah, and, like, moving on to a new relationship is actually part of getting over an old relationship. And it's also just nice to be in love and and have fun. (laughs) And it doesn't always happen. You know, these things don't always happen in the ideal order that we'd expect. You know, you don't always have a nice breakup, then some time to process it, then some time looking for a new relationship and then finding a new... It doesn't always happen in that nice, lovely, neat way because that's not how emotions and feelings and, and um, you know, romance work. It is messy and these things happen in funny orders and as long as you're kind of being true to your feelings and being kind of open with your partner, then I don't think you have much to worry about. I think it makes sense that you're suddenly... Sometimes when something doesn't affect you as much as you thought it would, you're like, oh God, is this going to like... Is the wave of emotions going to hit me further down the line? And I'll be like, ah, oh God, I didn't see this coming. But I think sometimes you actually do just like process things differently than you expected. And it isn't this just massive thing of emotions. Because I get it, like maybe you expected to feel differently when you ended that long-term relationship and you thought that it was going to be harder to move on than it actually has been. Yeah, I mean that's kind of why I said because it feel it almost feels like you did a lot of processing about the relationship ending before the relationship actually ended. Yes, um, that's the impression I get from from listening to this dilemma. So, and and that's kind of why I said that you know these things don't always happen in the right order. In the, in it, there is no correct order, and so so for me, you're, you're not doing anything wrong. You know, it's about kind of addressing your own feelings and then 
being open and honest with them, yeah. with your new partner. And also just, like, not thinking about what you should do or what other people might think. Just think about what you want and what you need and what feels good to you. And if there are some things that you think, oh, I think in this area we're moving too fast and I need to, like, have more boundaries in that area, do that sooner rather than later. Because maybe just because you've come out of a relationship that wasn't perfect, you want this relationship to be perfect and not have those difficult conversations, but it's, like, you just have to have those. Yeah. Yeah, I think the most important thing is, like, you can't predict whether the feelings about your ex will come up or when they'll come up or when you'll be done with processing the breakup. I think you just have to allow yourself to actually have time to do that. And you can still work on processing it while you're in a new relationship, because you still have, like, alone time, and you can still, like, write all your weird feelings in your little journal, or, like, cry about it. You can't just put, like, processing a breakup, particularly a breakup from a long-term relationship, into a neat little box. You know, you say that you're going to potentially talk to your your ex in again in six months' time, that's going to lead to some processing. Like, yeah. You know, that's that going to, be, that's going to bring second. things up. Yeah. You know, so, you, and you can't just put your life on hold until then either. Yeah. So, um... Also, I would question this whole, like, arbitrary six months window. Because obviously that's been put in place as a boundary to, like, have time apart to process. But I think if you just want to tell, have a short conversation with your ex now and be like, I'm dating someone, I wanted to let you know. Is that a good idea? I don't know, because I feel like if they've booked... If they said no contact for six months, obviously it makes sense. But I think if the goal is for you to be friends, I think it might be quite hard to suddenly try and be friends again. Like, I think after the six months window, you have to be open to the fact that it's going to be building that new relationship from nothing. It can't just be like, oh, we're suddenly going to be close friends, because you are going to have loads of stuff to catch up on because you haven't spoken for six months. We don't know how hard that that six-month boundary was, and we don't know... Um, I mean, obviously it was mutually agreed, but, you know, we don't know who, yeah. you know, one person might have needed that more yeah. than the other person. Um, so, and, and I just think to kind of break that boundary, just to kind of drop them a message saying, hey, yeah. by the way, I've got a new partner. <laughs> that yes. might come across, you know, I think you, that might come across in the wrong way. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is why I never date anyone. But I think I'm just trying to say that, like... I'm not sure if they're worried about what their ex will think about the situation when they find out in six months' time, and maybe leaving it for six months isn't the best idea if you're going to worry about what they think for six months, but also their ex might have already found out from other things, like if they have you on social media or whatever. And yeah, if the goal is to be friends, it kind of should be okay to like work through complicated feelings that they have about you moving on. And I would say don't feel guilty if they feel upset that you've met someone soon because it's not like that has any reflection it's so weird because like I know that like if I broke up with someone and they started dating someone straight away I would feel sad about it but that's my thing and I'd have to be like well it's not about me yeah it it is it like you cannot control other people's reactions and emotions um you can only address your own feelings exactly so Yes, quite possibly your ex might be upset. Um, yeah. I think with the friends, you've got to be careful not to n- not tell your friends things because you're worried about how they're going to react or that they're going to judge you. Because that just creates a situation where you don't trust people that you do actually yeah. trust because you're like worried about how they're going to respond. And, and you need your friends, you know, certainly your close friends. I think you need, you know, you need them to be... Honest, yeah. Uh, you know, you need to be able to share even difficult things with them. Yes. 
It is just like something that's out of your hands. Yeah, you can't, you can't you choose can't... when you meet someone. Yeah. And also, like, it would be even, it would be just, like, so sad if you're like, oh, well, I met someone I really liked, but I didn't pursue a relationship with them because I felt like it was too soon. Because by whose, like, time frame is it too soon? Like, you know, what if it had gone differently? What if you'd have started chatting to them, you'd have gone on a date and then realised you didn't like them? Yeah. Would, would that have been moving on too quickly? Because exactly. I don't think it would. It feels like the only reason yes. you're questioning it is because... Because it's gone you, well. Yeah, it's because it's gone well. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, especially if you were in a relationship that was failing for a long time and you were trying to struggle to make it work. I think it does make sense that you might feel guilty when it suddenly just works magically with someone else. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, hmm, a lot to think about. Ultimately, you haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, the, like, I, I think you've done nothing wrong. It's it's okay to be nervous and to have these feelings. And also, these feelings are part of processing. Yeah. Exactly. This is literally what you're talking about. You're saying, oh, I don't know if these feelings are suddenly going to hit me. They're You already have them. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you can only deal with the emotions that are coming up at one time. You can't, like, preempt how you're going to feel and try and, like, deal with it before it comes. Yes. Also, this person should have a therapist. Because then they can tell their therapist all these things without worrying about being judged. That's true. And they can say the things that they wouldn't want to say to their partner or their ex or their friends. And then those conversations with their therapist will help them have the conversations with their friends and their partner. Okay. Lovely. Another bilemma solved. I, I like that bilemma. I think it's a very wholesome bilemma. Exactly. And I'm glad this person... Like, I feel like this person had... It sounds like about as good a breakup as you can have from a long-term relationship. And it sounds like, you know, they're now in love again. And that's all. always a really beautiful Beautiful. Now it's time for Olivia's second bisexual agenda on the podcast. How's it going? It's going okay. I've I've had a lot of trouble thinking about this agenda. I think a lot of my initial thoughts were like really sad because 2020. But I've kind of not tried to avoid that, um, but tried to put it into something more positive. Okay, so so number one, I don't know what order I'm going to do these. I I guess I'm going to do like the one that is still a bit sad, like my my like my like coping with 2020 agenda first and I think like obviously this has been a really difficult year for a lot of people for an awful lot of reasons some of which are kind of very long-standing reasons uh, uh, you know about issues around racism or you know transphobia that have been going back decades centuries even in you know really and the kind of political situation around that and then obviously there's a global pandemic and lots of that's caused a lot of disruption in in everyone's lives um but kind of my coping strategy and my agenda for that is you know i often think it can feel like there's too much that needs doing and that we kind of push ourselves to do too much number one the most important thing is to look after yourself because you can't try and look after other people if you can't look after yourself in a sustainable way anyway you can help other people but then it gets to the point where you are in a really bad situation yourself and then you can't help anyone yes and i think it's also worth thinking about like ways ways that you can help people sustainably and that's kind of what i wanted to talk about because it's like realistically there are kind of like i'm i'm kind of i believe the best way to help people and particularly to help marginalized groups is direct mutual aid and there are various ways to do that you might be able to give your time in terms of volunteering you might be able to give 
your money. You know, maybe you, maybe you can't give your time because you're too busy trying to work in a crappy hospitality job in the middle of a pandemic. But because you're still working, maybe you're able to give money. Or maybe it's just that you are able to support people near to you. So if you've got a friend um, who's really struggling, maybe it's just about reaching out to them. It's not about trying to save the world on your own. It's about all of us trying to do little bits to help each other. And then the kind of second part of this, this was originally going to be kind of two things. The second part of this is crying because um, I've, I've done quite a lot of crying over the last few months at like weird unexpected times but I found it really cathartic not necessarily crying like yeah obviously crying because it's kind of sad what's going what's happening at the moment but crying for happy reasons as well like you know watching a film that you really love that makes you cry even even if it's a happy story like happy stories actually make me cry and I just find that that is a nice release and a, you know a good way of just kind of grounding myself I guess um, so my second item on the agenda is clothing designed for trans women or, or more specifically like feminine clothing or feminine kind of cut clothing designed for people with dicks I guess I guess I was kind of inspired well I was inspired in two ways for this like once one was with the um, Rihanna <laughs> yeah so I, I, I think Kit you post do you post it on your Instagram or your Twitter? On my know. Twitter. I've um, just been reposting loads of stuff about Rihanna. Yes, Rihanna's lingerie line, Savage X Fenty. She has a quite good size range in terms of plus sizes. She doesn't actually carry my bra size because I'm like skinny but I have massive boobs. So she's not so good on bra sizes, but I think they will probably expand on that. But she started her new menswear collection which is literally for the dykes and it's iconic. Um, so yeah, this was kind of inspired by that, but not directly related to it is that, and, and the second thing it was related to is, um, I was just thinking about this when we were on our walk earlier and it's about like, there should be high-waisted jeans for people who have dicks. It's really annoying trying to wear high-waisted jeans when you have a penis. And also when you have really, really long legs. <laughs> Um, Olivia is like a six foot queen with like really really long legs for anyone uh, wondering and and, and, you know and and you know it's not just jeans that I want I want like sexy lingerie that is designed for people with penises and I don't want to have to go to like I, I know there are places that you can go to get that but they're very like um, you know, they're typically like small businesses that have catered to like the drag community in the past and now kind of cater to the drag and trans community. And that's fine. Like, I, you know, I think, you know, we absolutely should support those businesses. But when you see that, like, you know, mainstream kind of fashion brands are like launching either gender neutral ranges or they're being they're, they're often very inclusive of like um, trans men or trans masculine people in terms of their clothing you don't get the same thing for trans women and trans feminine people. And, you know, the day I see, like, H&M selling a gaff... Um, What's a gaff? A gaff... So a gaff is, like, something that allows you to, like, tuck your penis. Um, and, like, you know, obviously I know that, like, trans women, you know, can tuck, like, but a lot of trans women, like, don't necessarily feel comfortable doing that. And it's, you know, it can often be, like, really uncomfortable to wear the, the kind of feminine slash women's... I don't particularly like using the term women's clothing, but like clothing that gives you a more feminine shape or feminine look um, can often be really uncomfortable to wear. And that is just not catered for anyway. So my agenda is 
femme clothing for people with dicks. Love that. Rihanna, please get on it. I would love it if Rihanna did that. Yeah, and I would say the thing about like gender-neutral collections, I don't think they're good for literally anyone. I've never seen um, any brand, especially any mainstream high street brand, release a gender-neutral collection that was not just oversized grey and beige t-shirts, oversized hoodies and sweatshirts. Oh yeah, like the gender neutral collections are just a scam really. It's literally just like, yeah. it's like cult, the clothing that people wear in cults. Do you know what I mean? Like it never has any colour and I think a lot of it comes down to trans misogyny. Like they don't want to put feminine stuff in a gender neutral collection or traditionally feminine stuff. Yeah. Like they're like, oh this is the only thing that's gender neutral and it's often just like masculine and boring. Yeah. It's not gender neutral to make a collection that doesn't have any skirts. Do you know what I mean? Because it's yeah. not like trousers are gender neutral. And for a long time, women literally, it was illegal for women to wear trousers. <laughs> like, it's not like trousers have always been this, like, unisex item. They yeah, have, like, it's... a long history of being seen as a masculine item. So when they're just like, oh, here's our gender neutral collection. And it's just, like, uninspiring, ugly... It sucks, but also like like clothes shops could just organize their clothes by size or like item because I like wearing menswear and like it makes it more difficult for trans people or like non-binary people or just like anyone who wants to buy clothes from like in brackets not their section because if you go to like the men's department of a store and you're a woman you might feel uncomfortable that people are going to, like, assume you're buying clothes for someone else or, like, assume you're in the wrong department or whatever. I imagine, like, trying to shop in real life as a trans person is, like, a stressful experience. So if they just, like, made everything gender neutral, i.e. put all the menswear and women's wear together, that might be better for everyone. Yeah, and I, th- I think it, it comes down to this fallacy as well that, like, that often happens where like making something gender neutral somehow means making everything typically masculine and it's like that's not gender neutral that's literally like because all clothing is gender neutral we have put ideas about gender onto clothing and clothes are obviously designed with like certain body shapes in mind but it also just makes no sense because like not all women have like an hourglass figure and not all women are like five foot five do you know what i mean like who who are the like target audience for these weird beige sweatpants do you know what i mean and it's like if you wanted to actually do a gender neutral collection why don't you consult with like trans people well ideally you would probably have a trans or non-binary person design it yeah (laughs) and they could make it cool (laughs) and like also it's just like so silly how it's like It's 2020, people are making, people have been making these like gender neutral collections for like a handful of years, but they have, they've always been the same. And it's like, well, it's not very like radical or different if every single gender neutral collection somehow looks the same, because what is this based on? Yeah. Hate it. I, 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 well, that's kind of turned into a bit of a rant, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll just edit some of that. Because also what you could do to, like, do a campaign about that is, like, have male models modelling your women's wear collection and, like, just yeah, blend like... your collections together. You could have a pattern that you do in, like, a shirt, a blazer, trousers, a dress, and you could have a blazer that was, like, 
more fitted and then a blazer that was more boxy and you wouldn't have to say this is the woman's blazer and this is the man's blazer yeah because some men want to fucking fit a blazer with the rihanna stuff like they've got women models modeling the men's underwear yes because the dykes yeah, want those exactly, fucking boxes baby exactly. they're all sold and, out as well you know i love it and it looks great and it's like can you imagine like a male model like a you know modeling lingerie I literally can't. I don't think I've, you know, I outside like of like, it. outside of like specifically like queer spaces and queer businesses, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah. And it's like, if you want to be like gender neutral, that is a way to do it. Like, yeah. that's one of the ways to do it. And also, if you want to make gender neutral clothing, don't just do one collection every five years, ingrain it into your business model. Yeah. Okay. Rant over. Thank you for listening, everyone. I just, like, come up to your agenda. I'm so sorry. It's totally fine. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my second agenda point. And my final one, it's it's another clothing one. Um, and But this kind of, this one kind of crosses over, like, clothing slash pandemic um, comfort, <laughs> okay. I guess. Is this your onesie idea? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> this is probably going to be, like, a really long winter a lot of us are going to be stuck at home for long periods probably so my third agenda item is just onesies um, have you ever owned a onesie i've never owned a onesie I, although <laughs> i think they're like i think they're quite a queer item of clothing they are um but i've never owned one and but i'm i'm literally shopping for one right now this is like that time when i said on the, po- the podcast i was looking for that yellow coat i'm now looking for like the perfect onesie for this winter what's your criteria for the onesie i don't know i just want it to be like i want it to feel like i'm like wrapped up in a warm woolly fluffy blanket that's yes. what I want it to... I like, think cosy factor is important yeah. to you. Yeah. Comfort and cosy factor. Cool. When was the, like, onesie craze? There was a year where it was, like, oh, my God, onesies are a thing. It, it was a few years ago now, I think. I feel like it might have been so long ago. Like, it might even be, like, 2013. If anyone remembers when onesies became a thing. Because I remember when leggings became a thing. And that was, like... That was a moment for feminism, honestly. Like, the invention of leggings and then, like, the surrounding cultural discourse around whether they were acceptable to be worn as trousers. That was, like, a moment for women. Like, we had to get through it, but now you can wear leggings as trousers, and I'm so happy about it. I love it. Also, if, like, anyone knows any good places to get underwear that is good for trans people, tell us. Because I feel like people may know good places. Oh, yeah, there, there are sure definitely, like... on Etsy and everything like that, but it's, like hard to find shit like that when you're googling yeah like i mean i i did buy a couple of gaffes from like a a, like an etsy store when i first came out you know and i think it's really good to kind of support those businesses but often they're like super expensive and because it's a small scale yeah and it's like they're very very specialist and it's you know you would never see like any kind of like high street shop ever doing it and probably you're not going to see it for a while Okay, let's do your tarot, my darling. Okay. Let's start with one and see how it goes. Okay. It is the Knight of Pentacles. The Knight of Pentacles, okay. I'm going to read it from the little book first, just so we get an idea. Oh. The Knight of Pentacles, hard work, business-minded, responsibility. I knew it was going to be about work. (laughs) I did too. I wonder why. Olivia, our resident Capricorn, 
she's a workaholic, guys. I spend at least 10% of my time trying to convince you to do less work, I think, and to take time off. Only 10% of your time? <laughs> I'm being generous. Okay, let's see what Cassandra says. Yeah, Olivia's just about to have, like, nine days off. I'm, We're I'm, on day two of the days off. I'm, I'm actually having a week off work. Thank um, fuck. Everyone can be so pleased that I've taken a week off work. After, like, six months of a pandemic, I've finally taken a week off work. <sighs> the Knight of Pentacles. To be honest, this is not my favourite card in the deck. Don't get me wrong. This knight is kind, hardworking, and destined to be successful. Yet, read or looked like traditionally, this card has always been boring. Being methodical is great, but I want to know about my end goal, not sit there stewing in the method it takes to get there. I'm all about hard work, but if it's tedious and not stimulating, I'd rather bang my head against the keyboard than deal with it. However, this card, for all of its frustrating messages about towing the line and continuing to work where you are, is necessary. It makes the dreams of the page a reality and gives us all a firm foundation to stand on. In every project we have come to this point. In every community, we would get nowhere without the community members who do data entry for our favourite non-profits. I've, I've definitely had this card before. Yeah, you have, but quite a while ago, I think. Yeah, I think it was at another time when I was, like... Taking on too much. Really, like, overworked and feeling stressed with about the amount of work I was doing. Yep. Okay. When querying this card, it could be time to send a thank you card for people who are doing tireless, less glitzy work in the community where you live. It could be reminding us that every right and dignity we have is because someone was willing to do that work. Not every act of revolution is fire and fighting. It may seem ironic then for this night the fighter to be the one to remind us that while some of our freedoms were won, freedoms were won with war, some of it was won by trying over and over again in the court system, for example. Some of it was won because someone ran for office and then came out. Some of it was won because someone who related to a lot of this night went from house to house having endless hard conversations with friends or family who weren't as enlightened. There are all kinds of ways all kinds of ways to fight and this night takes the practical approach that earns them and their community one step forward at a time until they've reached the finish line. This night could be someone who works to make sure their community is provided for practically. If you're looking for a calling, this card could be telling you to go into housing development focusing on lower income homes for people who are marginalised. Or it could be telling you to pick a vocation rooted in making sure the basic needs of trans people are met. In its simplest queer form, this card could be telling you to open up your home or heart to a friend who needs it, allowing your own solid foundation to help someone else. Your immediate chosen family is likely taken care of thanks to your hard work and diligence creating that home or space, and now it's time to think about what you have to offer the queer community at large. We are focusing on our home right now and making it nice and zen and gorgeous. And that's what your Chani Nicholas horoscope said. That's true. For this month, it said you need to focus on your home. Hmm. What are you thinking about this? I don't know. Because, I mean, I, I obviously I've done quite a lot of, like, work in the trans community, but that's mostly in the... At least when I was doing a lot of work, that's kind of in the past. I mean, I feel okay with this card. Like, it's... Like I say, it's one that's come up for me before certainly fits who I am as a person. Yes. Um, I think we can definitely say that. I tend to think it's coming up now because I'm feeling like I'm overworked at the moment. Sometimes I really enjoy my job, like I, I, I have like a job that I want to do. At the moment I'm I it's like because I'm feeling overworked and also it's just a bit kind of like tedious trying to just get through the and work. And a bit endless. Well, yeah. It's I mean, not like, oh, this is just this one project and when that's yeah. done, it'll be over. It's just like a mountain of work. But also it feels tedious because of 
like the situation in the world as well. It's like, what am I doing this job for right now? Hmm, interesting. Maybe I need to send you a thank you card. I do actually need to send a thank you card for, for work because um, I need to send a thank you card for my uh, intern who's been working with us for oh my a God, few yes. months. Your intern um, has been saving you. Yes, she They does. are a paid intern, yes, I'll just make that clear. Yes, this, we don't support exploiting teenagers or students. Uh, this is a paid intern from a training scheme that is specifically designed for people from marginalised backgrounds. So yes, I need to send a thank you card to her because um, her internship is finishing, although it's she's due to um, stay on, hopefully, because she's amazing. Yay! Yeah, I think a lot of people are working really hard, and I think... It is hard, like, I think September's a really hard month because you do have to work so hard and at the same time everyone's getting hit by, like, seasonal depression and, like, now it's, like, seasonal affective disorder plus another six months plus of pandemic living. I definitely feel like we've been doing well so far, but a lot of that is because the weather's been nice and we get to sit in the garden and we get to go on our walks and hopefully we can find new routines to keep us sane in the winter yes new routines while wearing onesies yes i'm excited i do like the like cozy agenda yeah Yeah, i feel like this this winter definitely needs a cozy agenda yes if people have like good places to buy really soft fuzzy clothing please tell us okay love you Love you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Perfect.